Live people ignore the strange and unusual. I myself am strange and unusual. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. My name is Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to episode 240. This time around, you're hanging out with iconic singer, songwriter, creator, and composer Amy Lee of the Grammy-winning rock band Evanescence. She joins us to talk about ghosts, the cinematic influence of horror and dark fantasy films, the alchemy behind crafting whimsy and power through music and more. Plus, immerse yourself in the process of the bitter truth. At time of release, the brand new fifth album from Evanescence available everywhere now. Their U.S. arena tour alongside Hailstorm kicks off in November. Tickets at Evanescence.com. Episode 240 starts now. Hey, this is Amy Lee from Evanescence, and you're getting spooky with me and the Boo Crew. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is an enigmatic singer-songwriter who started a band in 1995 wherein she changed music history, colliding melodies steeped in the beauty and darkness of classical composition with the power of rock and metal in a way that nobody had ever done before. Combined with her imaginative and immersive visuals and performance aesthetic, she became an icon and created a movement. A movement resulting in their debut album Fallen, selling more than 17 million copies around the world and two Grammy Awards. Their next two albums, The Open Door and its self-titled follow-up, both debuted on the Billboard charts at number one. After releasing an impactful collection of reimagined orchestral and electronic versions of their work entitled Synthesis, they had been honored with countless awards from Revolver to Kerrang! and MTV, herself being named a songwriter icon by the National Music Publishers Association. On her own, she's created projects as diverse as a Family Choice Award-winning children's album, the score to Mark Jackson's film War Story, and so much more. Her unorthodox voice and talent, the specter conjured up by the alchemy of verse and consonants that continues to haunt the imaginations of us all. For her millions of fans around the world, she is our voice when we feel silenced, our poetry when we can't find the words, and our strength when we are disillusioned and just can't take anymore. They are back with their first album of original music in a decade, and it's quite obvious we need it now more than ever for a time of release. The Bitter Truth is the number one selling rock and alternative album in America. It's the band's masterpiece. We are incredibly honored to be joined by Amy Lee of Evanescence. Yeah! Yeah! Can you write my next bio? (laughs) Can that be the best? And use that? I will will cite you as being the writer of the bio. That was right. That would be a, a massive honor. We are huge fans of yours. And thank you again so much for taking the time to hang with us today. Before we get into the bitter truth, Being a part of Bloody Disgusting, our passion isn't only in music, but in film as well, particularly the horror genre. So we were curious, what's your earliest memory of being exposed to the cinematic world of horror and dark fantasy as a viewer? That's interesting. You know, what's weird? I don't know if most people have this memory. You know, when like your parents are watching a scary movie and you sneak out of the bedroom and you see something you shouldn't have seen. Mm -hmm. I remember like creeping up behind the couch and like looking over and seeing a little tiny bit of it. And 
it freaked me out so bad. I didn't even want them to know that I had seen what I had seen. I literally like five seconds ducked back down under the couch and crawled back into my room as quickly and quietly as I could. <laughs> um, but then uh, my first, honestly, my first big you know, full movie experience was way too young, right around that age, I guess. My parents took me to see Gremlins because they thought it looked cute. Like it was for kids when I was three, oh, three wow. years old in the theater. I mean, come on, like horrible. I loved it and hated it at the same time. I covered my eyes a lot. My mom finally apologized to me um via text last year <laughs> i actually posted it was like amy my parents were always knowing all the facts they like to know like who the actor was what year steven spielberg was executive producer amy we, i just watched gremlins on netflix or whatever and you know we took you to that movie when you were three and you were scared you were right to be scared we shouldn't have taken you i'm sorry and i was like thank you thank you for finally apologizing <laughs> years <laughs> did you ever eventually become a fan of any of that stuff or did you shy away from it you know i've always i've always kind of gravitated towards a little bit of a presence of darkness and just like the understanding that there are things out there that we can't explain that's always been interesting to me like topics that have to do with kind of horror but more like in the realm of more like sci-fi and fantasy honestly time travel, the weird stuff, alternate realities. That's the stuff that like has always really sparked my imagination and having that twinge of darkness is kind of essential. I think one of my, one of my favorite, like actually being older and having a real appreciation for like a great film. I don't think this really fits into the horror genre so much as probably sci-fi, but Donnie Darko, one of my favorite movies because of that it's like what happened exactly is it like that it was an alternate reality path happened like when the engine went through the the thing and now we're following what would have been or is it a time travel thing or is there some sort of a i don't know just psychological weirdness i love that i feel like that has been an inspiration to me in a place you know that i kind of gone down just a little bit in in my music do you believe in the paranormal and have you had a paranormal experience yeah. Well, yes, I do. Have I had an experience? I, it's so hard to define. It's like such a personal thing when you feel like I have a connection to the other side. It's almost like if I say it, it won't be real. And I want it to be. I'm not. This is true. <laughs> so like I have moments like that in my heart that I hold close to my heart, but I don't tell anybody. It's just my secrets. When I was a kid, Back to my parents, they're just a great topic. <laughs> when I was a kid, but before I could remember, I think it was when I was really little, they moved into this house just for a minute. And it was, an, they didn't know anything about the house. I don't know if it was an old house, but they kept finding pennies. Like they'd find just pennies on the floor and pick them up and put them away. And the next day they come home and every pennies again. And dad's like, where are these pennies coming from? Like I picked up all these pennies and he went up into the attic looking everywhere because he, you could hear them sometimes drop. Like from so he went up to the attic and he was like looking around, like looking for pennies, squirrels. They never found anything, but they found out that a, a child, apparently a child had died in the house before we lived there, like right before we lived there. And they, my parents believe, you know, that it was some kind of a, like the, the kid was trying to play with us. I don't remember this. This is when I was a baby, but they didn't live there long. It was weird. It kind of spooked them out of the house. Like they, they were like, it was, wasn't evil or anything, but it was weird. Like this unexplained connection thing. 
Um, and I think we lived there for like six months. Wow. That's a story. Leo, you had a question wow. pertaining to that. Yeah, you've toured the world over uh, the years. Have you ever stayed at a haunted location or performed at a haunted venue? Oh my God, yes. yes, both. Okay, where do I start? Actually, <laughs> I feel like this made it to our DVD that we put out years ago that I'm totally embarrassed and ashamed of. On our first tour, there's this hotel. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the one in the, it's like in the Poconos or something. There's this place and it's real old and run down. Nobody ever stays there. We were like the only one. God, it's probably in there and I'm saying where it is wrong. We love staying in those places. Super fun. But there's like a split within our crew and band. Like some of us love it. Some of us hate it and sleep on the bus like and won't go in. I'm not one of the haters. I will sleep in there. I'm not scared of no. I love it. But <laughs> there are a few and there have been a few past members who I won't out who are terrified of the paranormal and totally believe in it and will not like set foot into a place like that. So I remember staying at one hotel <laughs> in particular on the DVD. It's all just about pranking each other. I didn't have an experience. Another hotel that I do know where it is. It's in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Bethlehem. It is Pennsylvania. Yeah. It's beautiful, really old. You know, the rooms, you know, all the old radiators make noises. It definitely feel weird when you're in there. Jen has a picture like she could show you on her phone. Like we were all kind of joking and there's this part, they don't rent out this one or people try. It's always booked because people are trying to stay in the room. But like, I don't know, burst into flames and everybody died one time. Something bad happened. Never go down to the end of the hall on the eighth floor or whatever it is. And I was staying like, I was like on that side, but a floor down. It was just spookiness. You know, like we're around, we're around it, but we weren't in the room. We were all like, sharing like internet junk we'd find through like a group text throughout the day. And my security guard thought it'd be really funny. I was scared that night because the lights were weird. It was like, they kind of flicker a lot. And it was like, I can't sleep. Everybody left me. I was alone in my room. My husband went out to go party with everybody. This one particular, he never does that. And I remember texting my security guard because <laughs> he was like in between me and Beth and Beth gets scared. That's my best friend. She does my hair and makeup. I texted Beth and I was like, did you hear that? There was totally like a, a scream, like, but a weird one, like a bird, half bird, half human, like makes no sense. Like what the heck noise. And um, I was already spooked out and I texted her. I was like, did you hear that? And she's like, yes. And then she called me and she's like, um, like it happened again. And we both heard, we could hear it. And I was like, I don't know. I'm going to call Richie. And he was like in between us. And we're like, Hey, are you, I was like, are you at the hotel? And he's like, no, I'm out. And I was like, fuck because I thought for sure, like he's messing with us. Like he's the one who's going to be a jerk and he wasn't even there. And I was like, could you, could somebody come back to the hotel? Like we're hearing stuff and I'm not leaving my room. Like, <laughs> and then I, I, I was like, Beth, can I come to your room? Like, we'll just like watch sex in the city or something. So I like walk out of the room and Richie's room is in between, but he wasn't there. Right. Liar. He was totally in there making. And I was like, you asshole. And he just, I hear him in there, just this old smoker, like, <laughs> you, we have fun. We have fun. I, I have had a ghost do anything to me that made me like literally run out of a building, but that place is, they sell their, what was the name of it again? Hotel Bethlehem. Got a whole history. Yeah. I wanted to ask about your discovery of the cinematic music of the world of dark fantasy and horror in particular, your gateway into Tim Burton, Danny Elfman. And what was the first thing you saw in that realm? Edward Scissorhands. 
another obvious favorite. That's so good. And, you know, the music is such a big part of what makes films like that for me. Like Tim Burton's a genius, partially because I feel like he does so much that he actually builds the world instead of going to a location. So it always has this very special kind of like alternate reality feeling or like particularly Tim Burton set building. It's, it's really cool. But then the music that Danny Elfman or, or others, you know, have brought, it gives it a certain, like, you're feeling what you're supposed to feel, but not exactly like there's something that to me is your internal, your monologue, like your feelings, like the music is me. The music is what I'm, what I'm feeling right now. And that's part of why I've always been so into the idea of like making music for film, because it's, it's like, you're forget the dialogue. Like you're the feeling of the character. Like this is, this is sort of saying, this is what it feels like. I don't know why I just love that. That's fascinating. The two of them have inspired me so much. Edward Scissorhands, big time, beautiful love story. I mean, that's not, I, I wouldn't consider that horror at all. I don't even know what to call that. The horror movie that actually is one of my favorite ones, I guess, I think you'd call it that, is Sleepy Hollow. Of course. Yeah. Um, music is so good. The costumes are so good. I love all that stuff so much. And it's like the right amount of scary because you take it to a certain like really real level of like horrible stuff. And I'm like, this isn't what I want to do with my free time. Life is horrible and stressful already. Like I want to just watch stand up comedy right now. You did such a beautiful version of Sally's song on the Nightmare Revisited collection back in 2008. What did you learn about the magic of how that song is structured in taking this time to get inside of it? Wow, that was really fun to do. That was an honor to do because it's it just such an inspirational film for me and my life and like my early journey into like making our music. I was thinking and trying to to really listen to the song and pluck out and pay homage to some of my favorite little details. One of those, it, this is just a little tiny detail, but in the very end of the song, it, there's this, this very Danny Elfman, that like just fades off in the end. And I, I just felt like it's just a detail, but to be able to do that, like on the harp and piano kind of together and do my own little version of it was really cool. It's hard to explain. I, I feel like it's just a feeling moment and it's a feeling moment where it's like, I get to do this and it's totally not mine, but it's the kind of thing that has inspired things about our music. I mean, even when you listen to bring me to life in the intro, like, the way that sort of pedal point piano part is going. All that. in the world of film scoring has been exceptional. And among that work, Aftermath, the collection of themes he did for Mark Jackson's War Story. And I encourage you listening to see the film, first of all, but also just as a body of work on its own, the music itself is this beautiful tapestry of almost like, if you strip it out, it sounds like folk horror music. It's so fantastic. And tracks like Between Worlds and Drifter are absolute they're delicious. How did you approach that? Were you scoring in real time to picture? Did you watch it and take it in and then regurgitate what came out? How did that work? Each song was unique. And, you know, when you're writing music for 
a film, there's always tons of stuff that doesn't get used. You know, we're speaking with the director is like, okay, here's how I want it to feel in this part. This is what she's going through. This is what I want, you know, the viewer to feel like, and we just keep, and this is a, this is a collaborative project. It was me and Dave Egger, who I love. We worked a bunch together. He's a cello player and composer and also Chuck Palmer, my other friend who the, th- the two of them work together all the time. They're both fantastic people. So the three of us together and a, a few other people as well that came together to work on things, but that was kind of the core group was the three of us making that music. So we would just get together and make something like sometimes it was, I would spend some time in my studio, you know, just coming up with sounds and layers and pieces and and showing it or me and Dave, a lot of time it was me and Dave together. And sometimes Dave on his own. And the thing that happened with aftermath and what you just referenced uh, those songs is that it, some of it were the songs from the film, but others were the, all the cool little pieces that we loved that didn't make it for one reason or other. Maybe the scene got cut or we ended up writing something else with a slightly different feeling that the you know director wanted. So sometimes it was to film. Yes. And one, one track in particular, I think it's called voice in my head that's on there was a really cool, like breakthrough thing for me that felt really brave at the time that I hadn't done before with Dave, which was we literally just had it on and just jammed live and recorded it. And that's what it is. It's not like we wrote a chorus and a verse part and we knew what we were going to do and how we were going to come back to it. We just were facing each other and watching each other and I would move and he would move with me and he would move and I would come back down with him. And it was really just like a very in real time to artists playing off of each other and sort of having a stream of conscious moment together, which is so beautiful, you know, and you can't write that. Like you can't, I don't feel like, like what we did, if I try to write that down and score that out and remember all that, it would be really, really difficult. But it happening just free in the moment like that was natural and beautiful and real, like to its core. So I, I think from all of the experiences of, of actually writing and performing and recording stuff in that project, that, that's the one that stands out the most in my head. projects like that on the way any other film scoring project i mean we'd love to hear more of it no i've i've remained friends with my collaborator eric howell who's an incredible um film director he did voice from the stone and he had me write the last song for that film and then he has gone on to now direct two of our music videos with the band the last two use my voice and better without you which are beautiful and he you know we just send each other stuff like i send him use my voice when it was just a piece at the beginning and I didn't have a chorus yet because I was inspired by this screenplay that he had written uh, revolution to Cassandra. And I'd read that and I showed him, I was like, these kind of go together. And we were just having a conversation and he sends me his scripts and he's got, I've got one in my inbox right now that I'm supposed to read. Like, I'm sure that we'll work together again. When you meet somebody who's like just a really good artist that you get and you flow together and you get each other and what each other wants, I just feel like those relationships are just priceless. Like, and I, just like with Dave Egger, like we've worked together and worked together with, it's been like 15 years or something now. 
I feel like I, those relationships are always something that I want to hold on to and keep circling back and be like, what you got? What's happening? You know, when you're really friends with somebody and it's not like, Hey, I need to make money. It's like, you inspire me. Like, what can we do? Let's get into trouble. So I'm, I'm sure that there will be more. The Boo Crew will be right back. Are you hungry? Hungry as a gremlin? Here's gremlin cereal. Gremlins, gremlins, bite after bite. What a tasty way to satisfy a gremlin appetite. Gremlins is a deliciously sweet, crunchy cereal that satisfies the hungry little gremlin. That's in all of us. Gremlins, gremlins, bite after bite. What a tasty way to satisfy a gremlin appetite. Gremlin cereal is part of this complete breakfast. Gremlin, yum, yum. One of the many elements that makes the music of Evanescence so unique is what we were talking about earlier, the world building that you infuse into all of it. There's a drama to it. There's theatrics. You build these churches through sound. As a listener, we are put directly inside of the songs. What is the thought and work that goes into creating that magic? It's hard to explain because it shows itself naturally. It really does. But now musically and as a band we're at a place where like i really we have the nostalgia like we have our our history and our catalog we know our songs we get it like when we were first making music like when i was a teenager and dreaming things up it was all new it could still be anything but then kind of like after fallen and then especially after the open door and like it, it wasn't just the beginning of the thing but it it really is like, okay, here is the fluid, like the thread that binds these things. It's hard to define it. It's a, it's a soul thing. It's also a sound, but it really can go in a lot of directions. It's not that every single song has to have layers of strings and huge guitars and, you know, the chorus that comes in on the one, like there's rules, there's things about it. that's like, yeah, that's a real evanescence move, but like, <laughs> It's cool when you can break those rules because you know what they are. It's like, we know what the heart of us is and now we can just like dance around all over. And that's what we really wanted the new album to be. And I really feel like we accomplished it is feeling those old feelings and letting them come in and, and be the roots of, of what Evanescence is, but also being who we are now as well and bringing in a world of new ideas and letting, you know, harebrained ideas take shape and let them have a place in our music today. I, I think that that really has been the recipe every time, but now more than ever, I feel this sense of perspective through time of, of what this is. And it has had a lot of people involved in it at this point, all of that being something bigger than ourselves. I feel like we really understand that concept and I've grown to really love that about it. The journey of the bitter truth is a very cinematic one. It starts with a piece called Artifact, The Turn, which is the perfect introduction. We feel like we are coming into a kind of floating into this experience you guys have created. What went into the architecture of the arc, the emotional arc of the album, where it starts, where it ends? We worked on this album for a long time. Some of these songs are a decade old, started at least, obviously finished and revamped and everything else by now. But over the past three years in particular, just really focusing on writing material that could go towards like this, just sort of this vague idea that started to slowly, you know, take shape. And then of course in 2020, 
that was our whole life. Just our whole focus was really making out and working with Nick Raskulinix, our producer, who's incredible. I feel like the way that it starts, it's, it really is all part of the journey. It doesn't go in order of time of when the songs were written, but you talk about an arc and the feeling. What the album really ended up being was this journey from and out of grief into pushing through, pulling yourself back up and being ready to fight the next fight, fight for truth and for life and for good and for love. It's hard when you first experience a tragedy, you know, you just feel numb and like, you just want to go to sleep and not wake up. And over time, like you have to start to put your thoughts together and find a way to make it, make you strong or it kills you. And I don't mean make you hard. I don't mean make you bitter. For me, it's been more about living better for, for those that I've lost, like being the person that they love more, finding a way to like, let, let my brother, you know, from the other side, like let him see me as the person that he loved and do the things that he would want me to do that he loved me for in the first place. Like this music, this band, this has been such a beautiful, positive thing in my family's life. Like something, my parents, my sisters, my brother, like something to look forward to and get excited about and go to the concert. I remember the time my dad got a limousine, totally embarrassing, put all the kids in and like came to like our first show when we came to town. Like this is a beautiful part of my, my family's life as well as my band and everything else. I don't want to waste any more time. Like we, it really has been a long time since our last album. And I think about all the times I really had to fight to keep this band, not only alive, but healthy to keep it thriving and keep it from being poisoned. (laughs) I wouldn't want to get to this point where everything's finally great, you know, and then just like not do it. And and if I'm going to do it, it's got to be the best it's ever been. Otherwise, what's the point? Like we did it, you know, we need to do it great, make it better than ever. So I'm, de- I'm describing like my heart, but that is the album. So the album is the journey of like standing back, ex- saying what happened, going through, you know, the pain and pushing through it, not around it to get to a better place. And the hope, you know, that we can have a better future and that life is worth living and that we're not alone. And, you know, like sadness and death, that's a part of life that we have to accept. And if you let it, you know, it can make you closer to the people that you've gone through it with. And it, I think it's important to remember that's a part of our life, the people that we've loved and they're still here in a way. And the music is part of what, what still keeps them here. So the intro, you asked about the intro and I went off on a long tirade, but the intro, that very first part is a dedication to my brother for me. And I recorded that artifact. I recorded that in my hotel at three o'clock in the morning on my laptop, just like singing into the, computer mic. And so that distortion and kind of degraded quality that it has is just real. I never intended that it would go on the album like that. I sort of thought that would be a fun piece to like do for real later. But then when we got in the studio with Nick, he was like, I don't know how we're going to ever make it feel like it feels like you really want to try to recreate that. It's not going to have that same thing that's in it right now from when you did it just in the moment like that. skies you will always be there 
And then it's cool because when the next part, which is a collaboration with uh, Scott Kirkland from the Crystal Method, when that whole luscious part comes in, it you know you hear that sound quality take over and open up into a beautiful cinematic place. It almost makes it more luscious and more beautiful to stand against something that is you know small, um, but intentionally small. Beautifully and then said. You're off. Yeah, then we're off. Wow. Broken pieces shine. This anthem yeah. of empowerment and dealing with grief. And I wanted to ask about this all over this album. You do this throughout this album. Songs like Broken Pieces Shine and let's take the harmonies in the chorus of The Game Is Over and when it opens up to the Change Me So I Don't Have to Pretend line or in Use My Voice. You imbue lyrics with so much power, but there's more to it. From a melodic standpoint, the tension and release happening when you say certain words triggers a really visceral emotional response from the listener. The hair on your arms stand up. You feel this at those very moments. What do you find informs your very interesting melodic decisions across this album? Do you find lyrics tend to demand a certain world to come to life in? That's a really cool question. There's a lot of like, nitpicky thinking that I do and I'm always hoping for a fan like you to really think about it that way and and pick up on those little things because I am a total perfectionist when it comes to that when it comes to vocals and lyrics it matters so much I spent the last couple of months honestly banging my head up against the wall frustrated because it was time to finish things up and everybody else was done with their parts and it's like we got to go here and I'm just like it's not quite there like I can't just say, okay, good enough. It's got to be better than that. And it, I mean, I'm going to live with it for the rest of my life. I completely love it. Like all the lines everywhere it is in place, like where I want it to be. But yeah, sometimes, honestly, sometimes when you say a certain word that you want to have a certain impact, it's got to go up. You got to go for it. It's got to be the fist in the air. And then other times there's a choice that literally has to do with a vowel sound because it's so high in my range, I can only hit certain vowels. That sounds funny to say, but it's true. Like, and it's like, how do I say this in a way that I'm going to be able to nail it? How do I say this in a way that when I go, yeah, that it sounds like that. And I'm like, (laughs) it's like, it's gotta be an awesome for there. I need that thing. And also I, there's something a little bit, um, this is going to sound nerdy as shit. There's something kind of primal about certain sounds that come from us too. And sometimes the most simple of vowel sounds, just an uh, like, or an ah, you need that. You need that to to accomplish the feeling of just a primal whale. And it's not that I'm always going for uhs and ahs. I'm just saying at certain times, it's like you need a certain sound in my mind to feel like I want it to feel. And then other times you make sacrifices in that realm because you want to say something a certain way so badly. So you just change the melody to fit. 
And it's cool when you actually do write a song that had lyrics first, because it'll guide the melody in a way that you wouldn't have gone maybe if you didn't have those syllables to fill. So there are times when uh, the music does something interesting. I'm like, whoa, actually, that's really cool. I wouldn't have thought of that if it wasn't because I was trying to say, you know, some long line. I'm trying to think of a good example. And then also I'm learning to embrace uh, dissonance in a cool. I've always loved dissonance, but I'm learning to embrace it in ways that I would have been uncomfortable with before. There's a particular song. There's a particular part of a particular song that I super love. I'm trying to remember if it's um, yeah, Blind Belief. When he gets to the bridge, it does this thing where it's push through the pain, but it's like I'm hitting literally a half step apart from the music where I land every time. And I don't know why it feels right, but it does. And I kept kind of doing it like that when I was trying to write. And I was like, oh, I can't do that. That's going to people are going to hate that. That's going to grate on you. But I'm like, why do I want it then? Like, I'm just going to do this weird thing and like, and it just like, it hits at a, it's when it's like, unbreak this system. When it hits, I can't explain it right now in real time. I'd have to like turn on the song and geek out with you. Like, <laughs> but I get it. That's what we're talking about, right? If you feel yeah. that. Unbreak this system. And it sounds like this beautifully broken thing um, when I land on it. And I love that so much that for some reason, that bridge, it just does something that I, I know that I would have been too uncomfortable to do when we were making our first album. So it feels really good to take those chances and then to listen back and be like, well, yeah, that's great. We should always be brave. I mean, you can always erase it later. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, sometimes you want to make a sound that feels words are not like you want the listener to feel. collaborated with quite the ensemble of powerhouse rock vocalists like Lizzie Hale, Taylor Momsen, and Sharon Valdell of a track, uh, Use My Voice. Talk about this collaboration on this powerful song. Man, that was just a, a real, like, calling all my sisters moment. That song was so collaborative in general. I started it on my own, like, two years before. And I just really believed in the verse. Like I had like the first two verses with that, but just really simple. Like, you know, me on my piano with my fake drums and in the computer. And I just like believed in this message about like, I will use my voice. Your voice is the strongest weapon more than anything they can throw at you. Then I couldn't figure out how to take it to the next place. I couldn't come up with a chorus that like stood up to how big the song could be in my mind. Um, I tried with the band a couple times and we just didn't, it didn't happen. And then uh, randomly I had a girlfriend who's one of my favorite artists. She's in a band called Viridia. And now we live in the same town and kind of like I was talking about before, you know, you just kind of like collaborate with people or even it's not about collaborating, just like listen to each other's music, read each other's scripts and just like feedback each other. We have a relationship like that, Dina and I, and she just came over and we were just talking and listening to bits and pieces of demos. And she showed me something of hers. 
And I showed her that beginning of Use My Voice. I was like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know if it's going to be an Eminence song or not. Maybe not. You know, it's like, I can't get the chorus. And I had a progression, but I was like, I think I'm going to toss this progression. She's like, no, that progression's really good. You just did a melody that like, you know, hops in faster and moves like this. And she started going, like that kind of thing. And I was like, oh. And then I started singing and then she started singing and we started singing together and we just sat there. And I remember right here pacing around in a circle, following each other, kind of with our ears like, like this, but then like walking around the room until we had it. And it was so cool. And I loved it so much. And I, I had an idea for this call and we came up with that melody line. And then that very quickly, like just made it in my, I felt so good that I opened my heart and let my guard down enough to let somebody else give me some writing advice for my band, which I've always been very, very wary of, very like standoffish against. I don't want your help. Don't give me any writers. Like I'm not doing the songwriter thing. Like this is my music. Don't try to, don't try to tell me what to do. Finally getting to a, a bigger place of opening your heart and having trust and good collaboration. It made me feel so good when we did it. And it made me feel even better that it came from that kind of like letting my guard down, like openness that I was like, why don't we take this even further? Like, let's get more people involved. You know, like how many of my girlfriends and like sisters and family can we get to all like throw their voice in on this? Because it means so much in a time where we're all fighting, you know, for, for truth and like, you know, to be heard and like to empower others to feel that way. So I just called my sisters and all my friends that are in bands. I happen to have a lot of friends with amazing voices. so. I, I lucked out on that one that they all are cool. People are like, sweet, I'll totally sing on your song. Just like did it, sent it in or came in. <laughs> and of course the band, Nick too, you know, it's not, it wasn't all about women. Like finally, like, you know, Nick coming in and we had that chorus and then everybody just like dove in and like made the song what it is, which really does sound like Evanescence, even though it does go down a different path. It has a different sound. It's unique for us, but it, we're still in there. It's hard to explain, but it really took, a lot of people together to make that and it just makes me love it even more. So I had read and I don't know if there's any truth to this that you had done a cover of Death Cab for Cuties. I will follow you into the dark. Is that true? I did. You can find it on the internet. It was like one of the challenges it was like a dare not a dare but like can you what can you cover on this hello kitty keyboard with no pedal no sustain like sounds totally dinky and horrible like can you make a, a cover of something that actually sounds good and i was like i think i could do that so i did i will follow you into the dark which is a heartbreakingly beautiful song i don't know that musically you know it was the best version of the song <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know i lit some candles and made it real i'm not gonna like just go in and goof it up like i i i sang it for real <laughs> that's amazing i love nice. that band and hearing you do that song would be a dream so i'm, I'm totally gonna track it down <laughs> you know i should redo that like with a different keyboard i got him right 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 behind you <laughs> right <laughs> Oh, you 
Listen, Amy, we won't take up any more time. We could literally talk to you all day. We got we got pages yeah. of, of questions yeah. and things about this album yeah. and, and what's to come in this tour. And God, the graphic novel that's coming. My God, there's so many amazing things. We can't wait to immerse ourselves in the world of this record. It's so fun. Thank you so much. I really appreciate how deeply you listened. It's meant a lot to us. And like every little detail I obsessed over. <laughs> so um, to have it finally out there and to be able to share it with people is extremely satisfying. And the only thing that can make it better is to be able to finally go on tour, which we're going to start in November with Hailstorm. So um, we're just like excited for this moment where we can share our music finally after all this time and really, really looking forward to the tour. So I hope to see you at one of those shows, maybe in a haunted place. Hell yeah. Hey, this is Amy Lee from Evanescence, and you're getting spooky with me and the Boo Crew. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 240. Special thanks to our guest, Amy Lee. Follow her at Amy Lee and at Evanescence Official on Instagram. The time of release, The Bitter Truth, the brand new fifth album from Evanescence, available everywhere now. Their U.S. arena tour with Hailstorm kicks off in November. For tickets, Evanescence.com. Music for this episode from Evanescence, production tracks provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it is the Boo Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. The Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.